following is a presentation of the Chicago Bears Network and ChicagoBears.com. Download the Chicago Bears official mobile app for up-to-the-minute Bears content every day. And now, welcome to Bears All Access, your all-access pass into Chicago Bears football. Bears All Access is brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by CDW, Miller Lite, and Comcast. Alongside former Bears quarterback Jim Miller and 85 Bear Tom Thayer, I'm Zach Saban. Good evening, hello, and welcome to another edition of Bears All Access brought to you by IGS Energy. There is so much to discuss, and we've got quite the treat at the start of the program. Joining us right now is the Bears defensive wizard, the defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio. Vic, thank you for joining us. Welcome aboard. And I guess we'll start off with uh, the question that everyone was wondering for a couple of weeks uh, throughout the offseason here. When did you make the decision that you wanted to return as the defensive coordinator? What did you need to hear from the new head coach, Matt Nagy? And quite frankly, what did he need to hear from you? Well, I don't know the exact uh, timetable of it. But, um, you know, I I never in my mind had left either. So, you know, I was just waiting to see who was being hired as the head coach and sit down with him, talk to him for a little bit, you know, and continue to talk with Ryan. And, you know, I think it happened uh, about three or four days after Matt was hired that you had this year with the Bears, or do you want to be the defensive coordinator that has the opportunity to oversee every portion of the defense? I know you still do, but a little bit more of a hands-on approach with the position. Oh, you mean as far as the outside linebackers go? Yes, yes. Well, yes, last year I I did it all during the OTAs and the offseason training camp and into week five or six, and then at that point um, – I did turn it over to Brandon Staley, who uh, handled it maybe the last two-thirds of the season. Your style of coaching and the ability to connect with players, and I'm talking specifically when you look at Kyle Fuller, because I remember reading an article where you disclosed that, hey, you know, we went uh, you know, and had a couple rounds of golf, played, we talked with one another, expectations, what he can do to get better, because it, it seemed like after that conversation happened and the connection uh, that you guys made, Kyle really responded and had a terrific year for the Chicago Bears. So really more about your style and how you connect with the, the players you coach, because they respond. Well, I think you try and connect with each player in the best way possible. You know, I don't think there's one formula or one way to do it. Um, you know, in Kyle's case, he is coming off a tough season where he didn't play at all in 2016. And, you know, he's a golf enthusiast, as, as I am. So, And we were talking about the 2000, upcoming 2017 season prior to us playing golf, but we just went out there and played together, and and um, you know we had a good talks and before and after that. You know I don't think it was any one thing. Joined by Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio here on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio six seventy. The score. Uh, a lot has been made in regards to the improvement of the defense today compared to the defense that was here when you took over. What's the next step defensively that you would like to see this team ascend to? Well, we just need to get better, and we need to be a you know be a defense that can win low-scoring games, um, impact the game more with takeaways, um, shorten the field for our offense, 
uh, you know, just play better. More three and outs, that helps flip the field. Just a little bit of everything has to be has to be better. You know, Vic, at the beginning of the season, I think the biggest concern for Bears fans was the production of the Bears' defensive backfield. And did Eddie Jackson surprise you with his ability to learn and to house all that knowledge as a rookie? And did Adrian Amos surprise you as well as having the type of season he had? Well, we had hopes for Eddie Jackson to be a good player for us. You never know how good they'll be right off the bat. But uh, it was pretty obvious early that he – the game wasn't too big for him. He's a natural player. He key and diagnoses and reacts to plays very, very well. Um, you know, there, we had questions and worries about his tackling ability. And although he wasn't perfect, you know, uh, he, he had a decent year tackling. Uh, in regards to Adrian, you know, I think it helped Adrian a lot playing with Eddie. You know, they worked well together. They had a calming influence on each other, and I think they both built off that, and I think that helped Adrian have a better season. Well, Coach, in terms of your install, it's interesting because, you know, it's like Akeem Hicks and certain players I talked to this year. It's like, you know, after a while, he goes, I really got a picture of how Vic Fangio was going to call a game and what he was expecting or maybe maybe the next defense and why it was called. You know, how long does that take to really explain the why to your, their players, the why to your players where they understand the situational avenue of it? Because it's so critical in terms of the game when it comes to certain situations. Well, I think you do that right from day one and tell them the strengths of a certain call, the weaknesses of a certain call, why we're calling it in certain situations. And I think it's always important that the players understand the weaknesses of a certain defense as well as the strengths. So they're always prepared and ready if the team runs a play that attacks the weakness of the defense that we're not surprised and, and we're expecting it. Our final few moments I here. That, I think that goes hand in hand, and you teach that from day one. Our final few moments here with Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio, and I know we all have a, another round of questions for you. I, I wanted to hit you from a different angle here because you had an opportunity to spend some time coaching Ray Lewis uh, when you were with the Ravens, and as a defensive wizard, you got to see Brian Urlacher and, and what he did uh, from afar uh, during his Bears career, and there's a possibility that both of those guys will end up in the Hall of Fame this weekend. Can you, from your standpoint, explain why Brian Urlacher was such a special linebacker in this league? Well, he brought a a lot of speed to the position, which is at that time was very rare and still is rare. Um, He had good instincts. He was a guy that in college played safety, so he had going backwards, going in the password, pass coverage, I think came natural to him earlier than most in their NFL career. He played in a very similar system most of his career. Um, very smart, very instinctive, and obviously very tough, which you have to be to play that position. So, I mean, if he doesn't get in this year, he'll – He'll get in eventually. He certainly deserves it. Hey, Vic, I'd like to just go back to a couple younger players that kind of intrigue me. 
and I with all the respect for Brian Brian Erlacher. But you know, when I look at two guys like Jonathan Bullard and Roy Robertson Harris, you see the emergence of Adrian Amos from this past season. Adrian Amos from this past season. But I have high expectations for those guys, those two young guys on the defensive line. Do you see the same thing that I see that they do have traits that they can really come in here and turn into quality defensive linemen? Yes, I, I think um, both of them have a good future ahead, ahead of them to different degrees for each one. But um, we're very hopeful that those two guys will be a big part of what we're doing moving forward. And especially there with Roy in that he was a rookie this past season because he couldn't do anything his his first year here and was set back by an injury during the middle of the season. And I think, um, you know, he's got a very good future. He's got versatility that a lot of our linemen don't have, and hopefully he'll be capable of utilizing that force both mentally and physically. And if he can, that would be a tremendous help to us. Well, Coach, it was it was awesome last week because we got to talk to offensive coordinator Mark Helfrich, and he said, "Hey, I'm probably going to be in in Coach Fangio's office more than he knows." And maybe talk about that, like training camp, how coaches you're burning the midnight oil, and you have those football conversations that maybe you didn't know something about the other uh, side of the ball, and you, and you kind of bounce those ideas and you learn. Uh, things about the the opposite side of, of the football, and obviously you come with great experience, and certainly have had a lot of those conversations. Yeah, he's definitely more than welcome to come in and talk at any point that he wants. I think it's a can be valuable both ways, and, you know, especially in his case where he's kind of new to the league, although not new to football, which is always important to remember. But there are certain coverages and fronts and way people play him, and the other thing that you know, just dropping by and asking a question or two or showing me a tape of a couple plays may save them a long time and understanding what teams are trying to do in certain defenses. So obviously he's more than welcome. We're all playing for the same team. Vic, before we let you go here, uh, real quick, you always give us a World Series prediction when the baseball <laughs> season comes to a close. It's Super Bowl week, so I need Vic Fangio's breakdown of what's going to happen on Sunday. Well, you know... I'm not quite sure on this one. I think I think it's going to be a good game. Um, I think Philadelphia's got a good defense. They're capable of slowing them down, I think. Um, Philadelphia's balanced on offense. Uh, if they can throw the ball effectively, I think they'll give them any trouble with their balance. And obviously, when you start talking about New England, you start with Tom Brady. Uh, he's throwing to or who's running the routes. You know, they seem to be able to move the ball there, especially in the critical time. And Gronkowski will be a major factor for him. And I, I expect to see a close game. And I'm thinking be a three or four point final score somewhere. Hey, if it's competitive, it's good for us. Vic, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the time. Uh, you're welcome. Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio spending some time with us here on Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. A lot to break down from what we just heard. We will do it next with Tom Thayer and Jim Miller. I'm Zach Zaidman. Bears All Access rolls on on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. 
Welcome back to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy, a proud partner of the Chicago Bears, providing electricity, natural gas, and home warranty products to over 1 million customers across the country. Learn more about IGS Energy at IGS.com. Zach Zapin, 85 Bear, Tom Thayer, and former Bears quarterback Jim Miller, who is in Minneapolis for the Super Bowl. There's a lot to discuss. We just had a 10-minute conversation with Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. And, uh, Tom, I'll start with you. I think the thing that stood out to me in regards to Vic is the fact that there was some question as to whether or not he would return as the defensive coordinator and he said in his mind he didn't even leave and I think that is really good news. It says a lot about what he thinks about the nucleus that the Bears are developing on the defensive side of the ball. Right. I, I think Vic's got a tremendous amount of respect around the league. It wasn't something that he was having to go through in a really extensive interview process with Coach Nagy, try to let him get an understanding of who he is. You look at his NFL footprint in terms of the linebackers and the defenses he's been able to coach throughout the history of his involvement in the NFL, and he's a guy that you'd want to keep here. There's a lot of pieces in place. And when you talk about Ed Donatel, the defensive back coach, and you talk about Jay Rogers, the defensive line coach, I think it's really important to have all of the information and the terminology they've been losing, using the last couple of years it stays it stays intact, and that's able to help guys like Eddie Jackson and Adrian Amos, and it helps the, the young developers like Jonathan Bullard, Jonathan Bullard and Roy Robert, Robertson-Harris that I was talking about. So I think it was a key ingredient to have Vic Fangio stay here with the Bears and hopefully watch the further development of young players and hopefully get a free agent like Kyle Fuller signed back on board. And, Jim, the thing that I was struck by listening to Fangio talk about what that next step is for the defense, because it's night and day from the unit that he took over and, and started commanding three years ago. This this is a group that is a, a top 10 defense that clearly the arrow is pointing up. The thing that he said that I liked is the next step is to be able to win close games because of what your defense is able to do. And I guess the next question is, how do you go about doing that? What's missing this offseason that the Bears need to acquire to take that next step? Yeah, first I'll, I'll add to what you just said there, because, yeah, I, I think either side of the ball, if you're a good team, you want to be able to close it out, meaning when your unit's on the field defensively, it's to make the, the huge stand or the huge stop at, at a certain point in time. Certainly offensively, when your team needs you, whether it's a score or just running out the clock, you want to be able to close it out uh, from that standpoint. And as you mentioned, they were a 32nd ring defense, and now in the last three years have moved into the top 10. They've got good pieces to the puzzle there, and you certainly want to add more depth. You know, we just we talked about Kyle Fuller. That was a question. He's a guy. Will he be back on the roster? So you got to believe corner is an area that they need to look at. Do they want to draft another young pass rusher? We talked about that. Leonard Floyd's going to be coming back from injury. May need more depth there in terms of the outside backer position. And then, of course, inside. You know, the Kwiatkowski's a good player along with Trevathan, but you need more depth on, on the inside. I like what Christian Jones has done, but they're probably a linebacker short uh, on the inside. So overall, it's like anything else. In order to be a great defense and why probably Philadelphia is doing a great job, I mean, look at their D-line. they got nine guys that they can rotate in in terms of a pass rush. And so I think more depth, and, and it'll continue to go in the right direction where they will be able to close out the game with authority the way Vic Fangio wants them to do. Tom, who are some of the young players that are currently on the Bears roster that have an opportunity to take that next step because they've been part of this system for the last couple of years? 
You know, Zach, you kind of read my mind because, all right, you look at a you look at a defense like the Jacksonville Jaguars. They went out and bought a lot of expensive defensive linemen up front to get this defense back on track immediately. But when you look at the Chicago Bears from the back to front, and you think of Adrian Amos, Adrian Amos, and Eddie Jackson, how young they are, along with Kyle Fuller, and then you move up to Nick Witkowski, and you have guy and Leonard Floyd, and even Jonathan Timu for that matter, and then you look up front, and if you can't can get the development out of Eddie Goldman, out of Jonathan Bullard, out of Roy Robertson Harris, and you still have Akeem Hicks. You have the young pieces in place that if Ryan Pace and the scouts can either get free free agents, college free agents, and draft choices, you're talking about Vic Fangio turning in this defense, going from a top 10 to a top 5. So I think there are a lot of young pieces in place here, Zach, and if you can get those that nice com- combination of some more younger guys to contribute immediately from college. You talk about next year, and it's going to be big. And, Jim, something that you asked Vic near the end of the interview was interesting to me in regards to the, the things that he can do to help the Bears' offense out, meeting with Mark Helfrich and, and Matt Nagy. And as a former quarterback, what do you think they're going to try and learn from someone as decorated on that side of the ball as Vic Fangio? Yeah, I mean, you know, certain situations, it's just it's played differently in the NFL than, say, college football. That we know Mark has a ton of experience, and he even mentioned, hey, I've been talking to a lot of NFL teams to prepare my, myself for, for the jump over the past year. And you do. Certain teams play things differently. They've got certain uh, tricks to the trade. You know, it, it was funny. I was talking to Steve Spagnolo today, who, who had the Super Bowl victory, if you remember, when the Patriots were undefeated, and he elected to get aggressive against Tom Brady the last drive of that Super Bowl. If you remember, they blitzed the first uh, play of a, of a two-minute drive. And then uh, Jay Alford got a sack on the second play of that drive. And uh, it was funny just talking to Steve Spagnuolo. He goes, because I knew over the years, if we went to, normally we would play like a two-man on, on a first play, and, and Tom Brady was gutting us. So I elected to blitz him, and they had success. And he goes, instead of two-man, I elected to go two-trap, where some of my calls, where it's a, it's a cover two, but you're trapping the slot receiver into, into breaking out an out route that goes right into coverage. And I think just things like that against certain players or certain teams that do certain things, that's really going to benefit Mark, Mark Helfrich as he learns now about NFL personnel and how certain things or certain teams do certain things because he'll be educating himself as he is yet to face some of these teams in the NFL. You know, you make a great point because I, I will guarantee that Sean McVay had that kind of knowledge at his disposal with Wade Phillips, with the Los Angeles Rams, and even this Super Bowl team that we look at in Philadelphia, the fact that Doug Peterson has a decorated defensive mind and Jim Schwartz, who used to work with Bill Belichick in Cleveland. So uh, there's a lot of knowledge there that can be shared that can tweak the game plan somewhat to help you out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every coach has certain tendencies or why they do certain things. Not that they don't learn from them or adjust or or move on or, you know, maybe change their their line of thinking, but, you know, they kind of know what works and what doesn't, and they always fall back on on what they believe in. 
And I think for Mark, that's the biggest thing. You know, when, when he was out there at Oregon, I'm sure he knew every team in the conference and how they call things and certainly the personnel and the players. And now it's just this is a whole new level. It's new for him, and he's just going to learn about the NFL and, and some of the tendencies these coaches do and why they do it. And that's great. You're bouncing ideas where he actually sits in a training camp meeting and he's hearing from Vic Fangio, well, hey, I'd like to call red zone defense like this, and here's the reason why. And Helfrich is going to going to soak it up like a sponge because he knows there's going to be some other defe- de- uh, defensive coordinators in the league that probably have a, a similar you know philosophy as say a Vic Fangio, but they'll have their tweaks to it as well. We have to take a commercial break. When we come back, here are a couple of issues that uh, I want you guys to think about here because we've got to hit the Super Bowl predictions from Jim and Tom. We've got to hit what happens with Brian Urlacher this weekend. And also, you guys finally had an opportunity to watch the Senior Bowl and the practices leading up to it. Who stood out to you, and do you have a better idea of some of the positions that are going to be highly rated come NFL Draft Night? We'll discuss next with Tom Thayer and Jim Miller. I'm Zach Saban. Bears All Access rolls on on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Get the latest Bears news, photos, and videos delivered straight to your mobile device. Download the Chicago Bears official mobile app presented by Verizon. It's Bears All Access brought to you by IGS Energy. 85 Bear Tom Thayer's along. I'm Zach Saban. We've got former Bears quarterback Jim Miller live from the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. And we'll get to their thoughts on the Senior Bowl, what they saw all throughout the week, as well as the game, who stepped up, who didn't, that kind of stuff coming up in just mere moments. But the commissioner of the National Football League, Roger Goodell, uh, gave his State of the NFL address today. And I love the fact that he's thinking the way we are. You know, throughout the season when we've been wondering what in the world is a catch? Well, so's the commissioner, and now it looks like they're going to try and do something about it. Tom, did you uh, get an opportunity to uh, hear what the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, had to say in regards to what is or isn't a catch? You know, I, I saw bits and pieces of it, Zach, but I don't know if it clarifies. I mean, is I, I, is this thing going to be cleared up to that there is one singular motion that declares it being a catch every single time you take a new angle you take a slow motion camera you take a look at the movement of the football as a player's going down and that is you know every broadcaster from tv to radio is immediately responding to the movement of the football so i don't know if it's you ever going to get a true clarification of everybody has the same understanding that's going to identify a catch i i think the more sophisticated you get with the camera angles that they're using the more that there's going to be focus on the football itself every time a receiver is making a catch even if they do clarify it there's always going to be the controversial uh, movement of a football that's going to you know create this talk again you're never going to make everybody happy Jim but there's a better way to do it isn't there especially when you get to the surviving the ground language that costs the Steelers in the playoffs yeah, I mean, you know, you're always going to have, you know, again, those, there's certain situations of how you're going to, you know, play certain things. And I don't think the, the clock management in that situation probably wasn't the best uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And all those things, they, they've got to be talked through. You know, they, you know, how a coach wants to play, it's got to be relayed to the, to the head coach. And, and the head coach definitely has to, you know, delegate it to, to the team. Because there was some situation, I know Todd Haley has moved on to the Cleveland Browns now, but... You know, if you listen to some of those comments by Big Ben, um, some of those things weren't discussed, and and I think there was a 
somewhat of a, what should I say, an information where it really wasn't discussed between all groups that all parties knew how to understand uh, that part of the game. Yeah, but that's a separate part. I'm talking about if you had an opportunity and the commissioner is going to put together a a panel and he's already met with some wide receivers and other position players as well. If you had an opportunity to sit down with Roger Goodell and he asked you, what's the best way to tweak this this rule, the language, if you will? So Okay, I didn't hear the first part of it. I got you now what you're talking about, the catch-no-catch rule, and Roger Goodell did uh, address that today. We're taking one of the most simplest things in football. I mean, think about that. It's like the old movie Bull Durham. You throw the ball, you catch the ball, you run to the bases. You know, we are making one of the easiest necessities of the game and making it way too complicated. You know, like that Jesse James touchdown. To me, that's a touchdown all day long. It's not about falling to the ground and control of the ball. We've taken this language and we've tweaked it when it it never was in there in the first place. And possession after the catch, all these things are not even in the actual rule themselves and how it's written. The bottom line is this. just If they want to tweak a couple of things, here's two things that would make the catch-no-catch a lot easier. All right, sideline catches. If the receiver catches the ball, has two feet inbounds, then steps out of bounds, that's it. It's over. Once he goes to the ground, it doesn't matter. Why? Because he's already crossed the line of demarcation. Once you're out of bounds, you're out of bounds. It says nothing about whether you go to the ground, whether you're standing up, whether it's possession of the football. Out of bounds is out of bounds. So if he had possession, then goes out of bounds, that's a catch in terms of the goal line area. Once you cross the plane of the goal line, much like a running back, i.e. the Jesse James play, all bets are off. Once you cross the plane, you have possession, it's a touchdown. Doesn't matter if you go to all to go to the ground. All of that is is a moot point. After that, if they just tweak those two things, things will be much easier in terms of breaking things down where they wouldn't have to be replayed and looked at and wasting everybody's time and disrupt the total flow of a football game. And Tom and Jim, I, I've got another one. Zach, that, that, go ahead. I, I, I got a question. I got a really quick question for you because we are we all were at the game, and if you go back in Calvin Johnson, the Detroit catch in Chicago, if they would have given Calvin Johnson that as a legal catch and it was a touchdown, would we be having all these controversies since that point? Because it's obvious in the camera that you can see a. Um, a receiver getting both feet in or not getting both feet in. And if you have the ball in your hands, it's a catch. But if we didn't go through the controversy with Calvin Johnson, do you think we'd be where we're at right now in trying to identify a catch? I think there are a couple of plays. And, and Jim, I think you'll agree with me. The Calvin Johnson uh, touchdown that wasn't at Soldier Field against the Bears started it. But the Des Bryant play at Lambeau Field in the playoffs against the Packers kind of exacerbated it. And since yep. then, it's just been crazy. Yeah, it's it's been ridiculous. I'm with Tom on the Kelvin Johnson. To me, that's a touchdown all day long, too. Yep. Here's why. He had already crossed the plane of the goal line. He goes up, comes down. He has two feet, has control. Granted, he's only holding the ball with, with one hand, but it was a grapefruit you know, in his hand. The guy had possession of it with one hand palming it, then falls to the ground. His butt hits the ground, and if you remember that play, his left hand then goes out of the back of the end zone. Thus, the play's dead. It's over because it's a touchdown because then he went out of bounds. All right? That's the line of demarcation. Instead, they let, oh, it's the continuation of the ball, and he tried to go down to push himself to get up, and then the ball pops out. It doesn't matter. All that is moot at that point, and it should have been a touchdown. Then the Des Bryant catch. Even this year, I saw the Arizona game. It was the running back, Ellington, catches the ball, takes four steps, has possession, dives for a first down. The ball pops loose. 
and they say it's not a possession. It's not a catch. You've got to be kidding me, you know, because the ground can cause a fumble, and if that play would have been ruled correctly, you know, the opponent could have had a, had a fumble recovery on that point. So they've just totally made this rule so complicated that the officials don't even know how to call it at the end of the day. They need to clean it up, get the language better, and just make it easier for the officials to officiate. Totally agree, and clearly the commissioner agrees with us because they're going to try and tweak it to make it simpler to understand. So, Because I don't fault the officials for calling it the way they have. I think they're following the letter of the law, but maybe the letter of the law needs to be changed to make it easier on the officials because if it looks like a catch, it should be a catch. Another thing that I think they should discuss, for example, and we saw it play firsthand here at Soldier Field. Remember that play where Benny Cunningham fumbles the ball out of the end zone, right? And then all of a sudden you have uh, the replay, but the, the, the call was right, but unfortunately because he fumbled the ball out of bounds from the end zone, it ends up being a touchback, so the defense gets rewarded while the offense is, is moving the ball down the field. Don't you need to change that rule as well? Why should the defense be rewarded on that play? Well, that, that's the point. To me, there should be a penalty to play, a penalty to pay for the offense if you don't take care of the football. You know, I, I don't mind the touchback rule. Everybody knows it's existed for a long time. A lot of coaches don't even bring it up and you know about the about the importance of hanging on to the ball. And if I remember correctly, even Bunny, Benny Cunningham acknowledged that John Fox and the coaching staff said, yeah, they, they have coached us not to do that. I know it's certain teams that I've been on, like Bill Belichick, don't you start sticking out the football down near the, the goal line for that very reason because a touchback could happen and the defense would be rewarded. So to me, I'm fine with that. The offensive players have to have to mind their P's and Q's of how important that football is down there because there should be a penalty to play if you're going to be, uh, what should I say, is uh, you know not you know not take care of the football but that, with the at, preciousness that that it should be taken care of with. But Tom and we saw this happen to Derek Carr, I, th- I think as well with with the Raiders where he tried to lunge and and score a touchdown, ball was knocked out of his hands. Same thing happened. Don't you think though that? The most important thing that you're trying to do from an offensive standpoint is put the ball in the end zone. And don't you want to encourage the all-out effort to, to get the ball in the end zone in those situations without penalizing the offense if they lose the ball and it's, and it's called a touchback? player is going to be careless enough to try and dive one-handed and reach for the goal line, then the defender has every right to knock it out. You know, There's a reason why coaches say, but two hands on the football. That thing is a bar of gold that needs to be treated with the preciousness that it is. So if you're going to be careless like that, to me there should be a price to pay, and the penalty is you'll lose the ball and the defense gets it at the 20. Well, I think the most basic um, point of coaching here is make sure you conclude the play with the football in your hands. And I think that's the, the key to anybody that touches the football up and down the field. Yeah, I can see going for the pylon or giving that effort, but sometimes I get confused when players – stretch the ball over the end zone, they get it tapped out of their hands, but they call it a touchdown, you know. So there are some confusing points here. The best thing to do is if you're an offensive player and you hear the whistle blow to conclude the play, be able to have control of the football to hand it to the official. All right. You know what? It's, it's almost a recent phenomenon because you see guys doing on the sideline. They're trying to reach for a first down, and to me that's absolute carelessness too. And it, this has kind of been the past through a few years, this has really been – you know, come become in vogue where players try to do that to stretch out and either get a first down or a touchdown like that. And to me, that's why you're seeing more touchbacks because they're careless with the football. The, mo- 
the most blatant guys of that are the quarterbacks. When you quarterbacks are scrambling towards a first down marker, there's a a defensive player that has an angle of approach on you. You know you can stretch the ball beyond the first down marker without getting hit. So, you know, your Aaron Rodgers, your Drew Brees, Cam Newtons, you got, I mean, the the quarterback position, they're the – they're the guys that do it the most. Hey, Jim, you spent uh, the whole Blame week. Blame it on us, Tom. <laughs> Jim, you spent the whole week down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. You had an opportunity to, to watch. And the quarterbacks, that was a big story uh, that entire week and into the game. Who improved their stock, in your opinion? And has your opinion in regards to uh, what the strengths are of the 2018 draft changed based on what you saw and who you talked to that week? Yeah, first off, one, it was a really good class of quarterbacks down at the Reese's Senior Bowl. Phil Savage did a good job bringing guys on board, and it's good to see guys go down there and compete. Unfortunately, Mason Rudolph wasn't able to do so because of his foot, but Baker Mayfield did. The Heisman Trophy winner, he really had a good week. He is legit. He's the real deal. I believe he definitely will go in the first round, and he could be the first quarterback taken. Really good arm strength, very accurate with the football, really nice feet and footwork and how he delivers it. And I will say this, you know, because everybody's talking about the immaturity. We all get it. It's really stuff off the field. But people comparing him to Johnny Manziel, quit doing it because this guy throws from the pocket much better than Johnny Manziel. Josh Allen, the kid from Wyoming, this guy is unbelievable. 6'5", 250 pounds, or 240 pounds, excuse me. Huge, huge arm. He's got a cannon. His accuracy was an issue to his left, but he got better as the week went along. Tremendous, tremendous football player. There could be three quarterbacks going in in the first five picks of the NFL draft. This is my take. Really strong class. Jim, this week on Inside the Bears, Mitch Trubisky, Tariq Cohen, and Akeem Hicks surprise fans with Super Bowl tickets, and Ryan Pace discusses the hiring of new head coach Matt Nagy. Inside the Bears airs Saturdays at 6 p.m. on CW50 Chicago and Sundays at 10.35 p.m. on Fox 32 Chicago. You can also watch show segments online at chicagobears.com or on the Chicago Bears official app at any time. When we come back, Tom Thayer called every single game that Brian Erlacher played in a Bears uniform and Jim Miller played with Erlacher. Will he get into the Hall of Fame this weekend? We'll discuss next on Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Go off the field with Inside the Bears. Tune in weekly on Fox 32 Chicago and My 50 for unique stories and interviews exclusively for Bears fans. This is Bears All Access brought to you by IGS Energy. Zach Saban, Tom Thayer, and Jim Miller with you here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. All right, so Tom, you had a chance to watch one of the true revolutionary players this millennium at the middle linebacker position in Brian Erlacher. And when you think of the Bears and you think of the toughness and the the greatness of the defensive history of this franchise, you can make a case that he's as good as anyone that's played the position since Dick Butkus. And that's how special Brian Erlacher was during his time with the Bears. Is that enough to make him a first ballot Hall of Famer? Oh, yeah. I think the end result of his career, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But I think it was the continuous growth process of Brian Erlacher, the football player that I I was so in, enjoyed watching so much. Because, you know, when he first got to the Bears, Zach, all of us were uncertain about exactly where Brian Erlacher was going to play during his NFL career. They were playing at middle linebacker. They said they should play him at outside linebacker. But thankfully, he was in the right system, and they left him in the middle, and he was able to flourish from there. But then seeing 
the growth process of a player, not only to be able to use his athleticism, but uses his intelligence and his growth into becoming in uh, or, or becoming a Hall of Famer. You know, I had the privilege of playing along Mike Singletary and watch his dedication to his craft in order f- for him to become a Hall of Famer. And that's what I got to watch in Brian Urlacher as a broadcaster is watch him grow into his potential. And I think that's hard for a lot of people because every kid that comes out of college, they have a label of potential. But what are you going to do with it? Erlacher took his potential and turned it into a first ballot Hall of Famer. Jim, you played with him. You got to watch him in the locker room, in practices. When did you have that Erlacher moment, that, that first moment where you saw him and you knew, I've never played with anyone like this? Yeah, you just you saw it in his first practice, just the athleticism. You know, it's interesting because if Brian Erlacher is not a first ballot Hall of Famer, I, I don't know what is then. You know, every player and coach that I've talked to down, you know, whether it's in, in Mobile or here at the Super Bowl, like today, Brian, Brian Bill, I say, hey, Brian Urlacher, is he a first battle hall? He goes, absolutely. You heard Lovey Smith. You heard, like today, Jason Witten says it. He goes, you can't duplicate what the guy did or the impact or there's not a blemish when it comes to, to Brian Urlacher. So, you know, it comes down to the voters doing the right thing. You know, I thought T.O. should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer last year. And, oh, and then now all of a sudden it's, oh, he wasn't a good teammate. Well, then what was, then Randy Moss. Then he shouldn't, he doesn't deserve to be a first ballot Hall of Famer if that's what they're going to change the criteria on. So, to me, the five guys, it's going to be Ray Lewis. It needs to be Brian Urlacher. It needs to be the two receivers, T.O. and Randy Moss. And I, I'd like to hear Tom Thayer. So I think Joe Jacoby should should go into the Hall of Fame. It's, it's his time uh, to get in there for what he's done in terms of Riggins and how many times they ran that power play to left and how many times Joe Jacoby was absolutely awesome. And I, I think he deserves to be in a Hall. But Brian deserves to be a, a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's earned it. And he's earned it 182 times he lined up for the Chicago Bears. I think Tom agrees. I think Joe. Well, I, I mean, I, I agree that Brian Urlacher is a first uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. I think Joe Jacoby, you know, has should get some recognition. He's a, he has versatility. He played on some great Super Bowl teams. But you know, I'm, I'm always going to go back to. I, I hope uh, Jay continues to get the consideration for the Hall of Fame. Uh, selfishly enough, being a teammate, being a Chicago Bears fan, and what he was able to accomplish in his career. But, you know, Joe Jacoby was a lot the same. He was a person that played wherever they needed him to they needed the most help, and he was a, a Hall of Fame caliber player. So if Joe Jacoby is the guy that gets in this year, then, you know, he deserves as much credit as anybody who's, who's played throughout a, a lengthy NFL career. It's his last career. time. If they don't vote him in this time, he now this is his last opportunity because now he'll go to the uh, to the what do you call it the 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 reserve list or whatever for the elder statesman. Uh, that's what the list he'll go in. So this is the last time they get a shot to to vote him in. It's uh, kind of the the clock's been ticking for quite a, quite a bit of time. Back to Erlacher, Jim. When he first retired, the thing that that he wanted to be remembered for most when he was asked about this was being a great teammate. Now, can you? Take us into a place. Give give us the all access pass to what the locker room was like with Brian Urlacher and what made him. Because you know, I I had a chance to be around him and around many of the different players that he played with, and it was very difficult to find someone that had something negative to say about Brian Urlacher. But when we weren't there, what what made him special behind closed doors inside that locker room? 
you know, even after Brian established himself, you know, the great players never, you know, they never quit working. Brian truly has a love of football. You you can't fake that. You know, that's something that just oozes out of you. I remember when, like, Warwick Holman and Rosie Colvin and, um, and Erlacher and Dale Lindsay would be, be working those guys to the bone, and Brian was like that his, his whole career. And when you're out there at practice, you're having fun. Football should be fun. I know it's a professional level, but you got to enjoy yourself. you got to enjoy what you do. And Brian makes football fun, and it makes it fun for all his teammates around him, his approach to the game. I think uh, that energy uh, is a lot, his positive attitude. And that attitude to me is, is everything. And Brian always brought a great attitude every time he stepped in that building at Hallis Hall. And everybody benefited from it, just how he carries himself and who he is. And I can vouch, he's a great, great teammate. And you think about how many games the Bears won during times when they, they didn't have the best offenses in football and defensively they just shut you down, led by Erlacher. You look at the entire 2005 season when the Bears gave up fewer than 13 points per game that entire season with a very limited uh, offense because of injuries at the quarterback position and having to play a rookie. And the other thing I look at is, to me, the, the game that symbolizes the greatness of Brian Erlacher, 2006 Monday Night Football in Arizona, the coaches review, 25 tackles in that game by Erlacher. This is a Cardinals team that was up 20 to nothing at halftime. The Bears didn't score a single offensive touchdown in that game, yet they rallied to win in one of the greatest games that you'll ever see in regular season NFL history. That tells you everything you need to know about Brian Erlacher's greatness. Good luck to him this weekend. And I know Dan Pompey, uh, the Hall of Famer, will make a great case to try and convince everyone to vote Erlacher into the Hall as a first ballot guy. We've got to take a timeout. When we come back, Super Bowl predictions from Tom and Jim. I'm Zach. Bears All Access rolls on on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is orchestrated by CBW. CBW people who get it. Zach Saban joined by 85 Bear Tom Thayer and former Bears quarterback Jim Miller, who fittingly is at Super Bowl 52 in Minneapolis. He's indoors, so he's not dealing with the cold. He's enjoying all the different press conferences and everything that comes with covering a Super Bowl. And uh, it's fitting because, quite frankly... It's Super Bowl week, and it's time. You heard Vic Fangio earlier in the program say that he thinks it's going to be a close game. Last week, you guys made fun of me when I said it's all about, I started with the Patriots, because I think it's always about the Patriots. It's always about Tom Brady, and with with all due respect to the Eagles, and they're loaded defensively. It's as good of a team as you have in the NFL today, and there are a lot of weapons at all the different skill positions, and they have a, a terrific coaching staff. And Nick Foles has done a very admirable job filling in for Carson Wentz at the quarterback position. But I ask you this, and I'll start with you, Jim. How in the world, you played with him, how in the world do you go against Tom Brady in a Super Bowl? Uh, it's, it's tough. And, you know, I'm one of the only guys that got to see his hand. He took off his bandage for, for me and Pat Kerwin. And so, wait, wait, let's wait, just whoa. say this. You, now you're bringing be, this up? What does yeah, it look no, like? I'm, bringing it, I'm bringing it up because something tells me he's going to be completely healthy. But here's what I think. Philly is a, a they are a good football team now, and they they know they got to play a perfect game, but they are not intimidated. They feel that they are better, uh, you know, in terms of their depth and everything, and just how they play with their athletes. They feel they're better than the New England Patriots. But I will say this: because Philly rotates in so many defensive guys, I can see Patriots going a lot of no huddle, 
not allowing Jim Schwartz to rotate those guys in. He'll do it at a moment's notice, say they'll get caught with 12 men on the field, and I think uh, New England has the opportunity to, to get this victory. I, th- I do think it's close, though. I think it's 24-21, the same score of the team I was on against Philly in Super Bowl Thirty Nine, but I think Patriots get this victory, but I will take the under because these are two good teams. I don't know anyone that watches more tape than Tom Thayer, so break it down for me, Tom. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to take the Philadelphia Eagles. I like 55 Graham. I like 75 Curry. I like 95 Barnett, I think his name is. I like Tim Jernigan and Fletcher Cox on the inside. I think this is the most powerful, fastest defensive lineman that he's played against since the Super Bowl of the New York Giants' Michael Strahan-led defensive line. So, to me, I I think that within the first seven minutes of the game that this defense is going to be able to get at Tom Brady, make Tom Brady's legs look 39, not necessarily his arm and his mind. But I think they have defensive linemen, probably six of them on this team that are faster than the quarterback they're going to play against. And they can get to the quarterback without having to blitz, which is always a key when you play uh, the Patriots, but I ask you this because you bring up those those giant Super Bowls. In those games, despite the fact that the Giants were able to generate a consistent pass rush against Brady and, and make him look vulnerable at times, it still took some of the two of the greatest throws that we've ever seen a quarterback make in the big game by Eli Manning to beat the Patriots. Is Nick Foles capable of making those types of throws, making those big plays? I do. I think he's capable. He he seems really confident. Really, Doug Peterson has done a good job since uh, he's inserted uh, Nick Foles into the lineup. They really have repped things hard, went back, watched tape, do what he does well and why he played so well under, under Chip Kelly, and they've got a good receiving core. These are big receivers. Alshon, who everybody knows, Nelson Aguilar has really um, stepped up his game this year. A lot of people thought he was a bust, but he came up strong this year. And Torrey Smith, plus don't forget Zach Ertz, and they got a good running game with a great offensive line. So absolutely he's capable of making those plays. So I have an announcement, guys. I want to thank you both, Tom and Jim, because tonight is my final time hosting Bears All Access. And, you know, we started the show back when I was a young pup with Peanut Tillman and Musin Muhammad in 2005, and the show's been going strong ever since. It's been just an absolutely phenomenal journey, and I hope that you've learned, laughed, listened to some compelling stories, and truly felt like you've had a real all-access pass to Bears football. And you guys are a big part of, I think, helping incorporate that and taking listeners onto the inside to places they can't go when they listen to the show. So thank you very much for that. Well, thank you, Zach. It's really been a pleasure. Yeah, I can't say enough good things. And, hey, good luck uh, to you. We've enjoyed it. We've had a lot of fun. I know I have, and I know Tom has too. And I think Jeff Joniak will do just fine filling in for (laughs) me going forward here on Bears All Access. But most of all, I'd like to thank you guys out there for listening to us over the years. And and it's been a blast. So we've got to say goodbye. I'm going Patriots. I think Jim's going Patriots. Tom's going Eagles come Sunday. Tom's going Philly. Go Eagles. The evil empire must come down. (laughs) That's what Tom said. We'll see. It'll be interesting to to see if, if Tom owns up to it, no matter what happens. Come next week on Bears All Access. For Tom and Jim, I'm Zach Saidman saying so long. Thanks for listening to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. 
Thanks for listening to the Chicago Bears Network presentation of Bears All Access. Podcasts are available on chicagobears.com and on iTunes or download the official Chicago Bears mobile app. Bears All Access has been brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by CDW, FanDuel, and PNC.